excited for you to be here. My name is Ian. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the youth and family pastor here. And um, yeah, we're excited for you to be here. If you're new or visiting, we would love for you to fill out a Connect card in front of us. Or if you have a prayer request or something that you'd like the church to know, you can fill out the Connect card and put it in the boxes on the back wall. Those are also where tithes and offerings can also go. This morning, we're going to start off with uh, our worship service here at 9 o'clock. And then after the worship service, there's a time of fellowship downstairs if you'd like coffee or there's usually some pretty good snacks. I'm always looking forward to it, although I have to get down there fast enough so I beat the kids. Otherwise, I don't get what I want, right? So <clears throat> there's some time for fellowship, and then there are Sunday school opportunities starting at 1030 for kids downstairs and 1045 up here for adults. Um, we have a couple of announcements. First of all, we are announcing Zebediah, Timothy. So, Tim, you want to come up here? This was not exactly planned, but... Yeah, many of you probably saw on the prayer chain, or thriller means that our son, Zebediah Timothy, was born Friday morning, right, a little before 5 a.m. Um, so we are... We got home yesterday around noon, and we're all doing well, but we just want to say yeah, thank you for your prayers, and thank you for just all the support you've offered us already throughout this pregnancy, and yeah, it's, I tell people this is my first time. <laughs> Other than my installation service, this is my first time being here on a Sunday morning and not preaching, so I'm looking forward to just being here to worship with you all and be together. Um, yeah, so again, thank you for your support, and we are yeah, just happy to be back and home and getting into a new normal. Yeah, so that's our exciting, exciting announcement for this week. Um, there are other announcements in the back of your bulletin. If you uh, have questions, you can talk to the church office. This week for fighter verses, um, so last week's was Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. Hopefully you guys have done that. We've started doing them for youth group, and I'm finding that I'm not very good at them. So I'm working on memorizing, but it's, it's a struggle. Uh, the next one is John 10, 27 through 30 for this week. As we transition from announcements to our time of worship, let's take a few moments of silence to focus our hearts and minds on the God who we gather to worship. Would you read with me this uh, responsive reading? Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Exalt in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord.
remembers the wonders, remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given.
Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for who you are, as this, as this song says, Lord. We praise you for your goodness, your love, your mercy, your spirit in us, Lord. We praise you that we are the church, that we get to worship you together here in this place. We thank you for sending your son, for Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, Lord, the, the accepted sacrifice that you didn't just end with the cross, but you ended with an empty tomb. We praise you as the God who created us, not as mistakes or anything like that, but rather you put volition into every single one of us, who we are, who you're making us to be, Lord. I pray that this Sunday that we would, as a group, draw closer to you and not allow any, anything else to distract us, allow us to put aside the things that get in the way, the, the things that we focus on thinking that they will help us or get us ahead or heal the hurts that we have, but really all they do is just they're a placeholder for who you are and end up just drawing us further from you. I ask that you would help us to love one another well, Lord. Help us to um, not break each other down or hurt each other or, or whatever it is that we do, um, thinking that it'll help us, but really it hurts us. Help us to build each other up and love each other well. We thank you for Tim and his family and little Zebediah, Lord, or big Zebediah, depending on how you look at it. We thank you for him. We thank you that everything went well, Lord. And we just praise you for this new uh, child in the Byer family. We ask that you bless them, protect him, protect them, and help them just figure out this new normal with kid number five. And um, we just, again, thank you so much for him and that everything went well. We ask your blessing on us in this place. Help us to worship without any other motive besides worshiping you, Lord, as our God and Savior and King. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
You may be seated. This morning, Jesse Smith will be preaching for us. But if you are a kid, 4K through second grade, you are dismissed for Children's Church right now. Well, good morning. As Ian said, my name is Jesse. Uh, I'm a sixth grade teacher here at Eagle River Elementary. Um, and it's a privilege to be here this morning and get a chance to share God's word with you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. And it's one short verse, so it'll be a quick read, but um, it's a great and powerful verse. Philippians four thirteen reads, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's word. Uh, let's just go to him in prayer one more time before we get ready for this time. <clears throat> um, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much this morning that we can gather around Christ, that we can gather together and worship you. You are so worthy. Lord, I pray that you would take uh, my weak sermon and just point to this glorious Christ this morning. I pray that no one would leave feeling discouraged, but we would leave with eyes fixed on Jesus and his glory, that we'd be delighting in him and rejoicing in him and seeing him as magnificent. Lord, that we'd see him as all we need, that we would be satisfied in him. We pray this in your name. Amen. So our son is a, is a freshman in college, and so it's hard to, to think he was once a fourth grader, but years ago when, when my son Emmett was in about fourth grade, uh, my wife took him in for the usual well, well visit to, to go to the doctor, and one of the things my wife brought up was just, you know, can you check his hearing? He just doesn't seem to, to hear us when we're talking to him and we're concerned, you know. Um, so the doctor, you know, they did, they did the hearing test, and the doctor came back and said, well, mom, I'll tell you what we got here. We've got selective hearing, okay? Obviously, it's likely inherited from the father, but um, a couple weeks later, my, my wife was calling Emmett, and, and, and he's not coming, and we know he can hear, and she's getting a little frustrated and comes in and says, why aren't you coming when I call? It's time for dinner. And he says, mom, you know what the doctor said. I have a disease. It's called selective hearing. Of course, selective hearing is no disease at all, right? It just simply means you tune out certain people or certain things because you don't want to hear them. Um, today we'll be looking at Philippians 4.13, and it's up there among one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible, right? Such passes, passages are often misunderstood because Christians suffer from selective hearing, Right? Too often in our Christian walk, we have a diet of Scripture that consists of glossing over a passage in isolation really quickly to just get something for the day. And I know life is busy, and we have those mornings sometimes, and there's grace for that, right? Some mornings you wake up late, you're rushing to get to work. Sometimes I'm just trying to throw on a Christian song to listen to some encouraging word before I get to work. Um, but we can do this, and we can just try to really be quick about it, and try to get a quick revelation for what God wants for our life. And this can at times lead to a major misunderstanding, right? Uh, and it's a good reminder that really it's good to get into God's word and to dig in and to mine deep for the treasures that are buried in it. And it takes some work. And it's worth setting aside the time because it's how we get God's word. It's how we get that which is sweeter than honey and more precious than much gold, right? Um, and so what I want us to see this morning is when we, you know, when we twist Scripture, it can cause a lot of trouble, okay? 
Um, there's a lot of danger in getting off track. We can get off track in our faith when we twist Scripture and misunderstand God's Word. And we see this in the first three chapters of Genesis, right? Uh, Adam and Eve are created. They're in the garden. They've got plenty to eat, and yet Satan comes in, right, and says, did, did God really say not to eat this? It looks good to eat, right? And, 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 and we all know how the story goes from there. God's Word is twisted. It's falsely interpreted. And here we sit today in this broken world with broken hearts, and we feel the effects of God's word being twisted. We feel it in our hearts. We feel it every day in this world. And today we're, we're, we're still very tempted to believe that there's something else out there, right? To believe there's a different message that is outside of God's word. There's things we need in order to be satisfied. And God has given us many good gifts, and we certainly don't need to pit them against God because he gave them to us to enjoy for his glory. And so it's not shun all enjoyable things so we can have God. It's like, no, enjoy them unto God's glory. But the problem exists when we start to think that we can get something outside of God's will for our life. And, and, and if we think about how we pursue God's word, right, we can all get a bit lazy I'm saying this as one up here who can get lazy, right? Who can hit the snooze button in the morning and, and, and fail to get time in God's word. And yet, we're not so lazy when it comes to pursuing the temporal things in the world, right? I don't remember a time when I was lazy about pursuing smoked brisket, right? Like, oh, I don't know if I have it in me today, right? I readily run there because I love it, right? Or chocolate. Okay, I don't, get, oh, I don't know if I'm a little too lazy to go to the cabinet and get a sweet treat right now, right? And yet with God's word, sometimes we can be a bit lazy and get lax. And it's, if we're steeped in only a little bit of Bible and heavily in the cares of this world, and they do weigh heavily on us, it's easy to use our life's circumstances to interpret a passage. And when our Bible intake is lacking, it's easy to make a meaning to fit whatever we're going through at the time. And sadly, this is how people have used Philippians 4.13. It may seem harmless enough, but we'll see it can cause you to lose sight of Jesus and the gospel. A common misuse of this, this passage, taken out of context, Philippians 4.13 has come to mean for many things like this. God promises to make me successful in all things I pursue. Or God promises to empower me to achieve my dreams. A classic example, you could consider Two basketball games, they're playing on a Friday night. But one of them on their, on their warm-up shirts has this passage, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? And they go out there and they're playing, and coaches taught them about this passage and how they're going to win because God's on their side. And yet their star guard falls and breaks their wrist. They're out for the game. The team gets stomped. And now we got a group of teenagers who are taking a bus home, and they're there, there was a lot of questions going through their head. You know, coach said God was on our side. Coach said God would do this for us. Where is God? Can he be trusted? Can we believe him? Of course, it's not only high school basketball players who make mistakes like this about God's word. We can, as adults, look at this passage and think that you know, this is a promise to achieve and obtain whatever we want. 
right? We, we can look at it and claim it in our healing of health issues, in our efforts to advance in our careers, in our pursuit of material possessions. And it's dangerous to hold God to things that he does not promise in his word. Could God do some of those things? Yes, absolutely. Does he have to? No. Does he promise to? No. And so believing lies about God is dangerous because eventually it's going to prove false. A person might have a good run, right? They might get a lot of the things and think, God is truly on my side. But at some point, we all experience failure in our plans. Sometimes life circumstances are really, really hard. Sometimes we attempt things and we try really hard and we fail. And sometimes we lose in life. Being a Christian doesn't mean that God's power is going to get us whatever we want. But if we've built our theology on one verse taken out of context, we're going to end up being confused about God. We'll be surprised by defeat and hardship. We'll begin to doubt the scriptures. We'll begin to doubt God's promises. And again, like those teens on the bus, you know, we start to wonder, is God really with me? Is, his God, is God's word true? Does it prove true like it says it does? If you're on this path of being let down by promises that God has never made, then here's what I want you to hear this morning. God is gracious and forgiving, first of all, right? We all get it wrong sometimes, and we all go astray, and yet God is gracious and forgiving in that he sent his son Jesus, that we may know the truth, that we may walk with him. And, and like parents who know what their child needs, God knows everything we need. And yet, like children, we, we only want to hear yes from our father. And as parents, if we said yes to our children every time, they would be a wreck, right? And, and it's the same thing for us. If God told us yes for every desire of our heart, we would, be, we would be falling apart and we would be far away from God. And when we twist verses like this one to use God as a tool to get what we want, we're left disappointed. It's not only silly, it's, it's sinful. Uh, but like I said, Christ went to the cross for doubters like you and I, people that would take his word and twist it and get confused and doubt God, and, and, right? And yet he came and died for us, that we would know him, be brought into relationship with him, and over time be sanctified, right? And, and grown in our understanding and knowledge of who he is and in love for him. They said, we've all done this in different ways. And the only way forward is to repent of trying to use God as a tool for our purposes and to submit fully to God, his purposes, and his great, amazing plan for your good and his glory. <clears throat> and the, the, the second thing I want to talk about for the rest of the time is just this idea that Jesus is enough. Believe it or not, this passage contains something far greater than this idea that you have power to achieve whatever you want or get whatever you want. Some have referred to this passage as a rare jewel. But we won't understand how glorious it is just looking at it in isolation, right? We got this quick little passage. You take it, you try to figure out what it is in isolation, and you will get confused. You know, if I showed you a picture of a rock zoomed in on a ton, it'd be pretty boring, right? You'd be like, what is this, like a zoomed-in picture of the landscaping page in the Menards ad? You know, like, um, but if we zoomed out a whole bunch and you saw a picture of, you know, maybe Mount Everest, 
you'd be like, wow, that's amazing, right? If you're stuck way in here, it looks, you don't get it, but you back up and you might say, wow, that's glorious. And I think Philippians 4.13 is a lot like that. If you're just staring at it, you might not get it. But if you back up, you can say, wow, it's way more than what meets the eye at first. If we want to understand the greatness of I can do all things through him who strengthens me, then we have to zoom out a bit and look at it in context. And that's where we're going to see the beauty of God's truth, and we're going to stand in awe, and we're going to be empowered to do what God calls us to do. So what I want to do is just listen to Philippians 4, starting in verse 10, going through 13, and just soak in this context and think about what Paul is saying here, because this is a letter to people that develops as it unfolds, right? It's not a proverb where there's little nuggets of wisdom that we learn how to apply in different situations. This is an argument. It's a line of thinking. So we want to listen carefully. Paul writes, starting in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So in context, Paul starts by giving thanks for their financial support. He lets them know that, all right, you weren't able to help me earlier, and I did have some need, but it's okay because there's a sense in which I really had no need at all. That's interesting, right? He had a need, but he didn't really have a need. What's going on here? Paul, who's in jail, chained to a guard, says he's learned to be content in whatever situation he finds himself in. And as we consider this context, we ought to consider Paul's life and his journeys, his missionary journeys, to read about how he learned contentment, right? He says here in, this, in, this, in these string of verses, I know how to be brought low, right? This is talking about his humiliation from coming down from a position. And if you think about Paul, right, he had all the right people in authority on his side. Everybody thought about how righteous he was, right? He was uh, respected. He had all the status and what he says about it is that it's all a bunch of rubbish and he throws it away like garbage because he's found that that's not where it's at. He found somewhere else where it's at. He says, I know how to abound. Paul learned that having his needs met, even when he had all his material possessions there for him, he learned that that's not the secret to contentment. But it would... Uh, uh, but that the secret, sorry, excuse me, but that the secret would allow him to walk contently even when, he, when his needs are met. So he knew there was a secret that was not having his needs met that was powerful enough to allow him to walk in contentment when his needs are met. And that may sound really weird to us, right? Because we think, well, when I have a full belly, I'm content. And Paul's saying, no, it's not when you have a full belly that you're content. There's something else that's going to make you content. He says, in any and every circumstance. I just, I think about my life and my own fickle heart, and it's so silly, right? I mean, something like a flat tire on a way to Bible study would make me feel like, oh, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is life so hard? I'm busy, the kids are yelling, now we have a flat tire, what are we going to do, right? Or, or 
You know, someone says something about me or one of my kids and I can just come undone and think I can be so discontent in my heart. And and here in the scripture, we have Paul put before us and his main aim is to go around preaching the gospel, right? And you'd think, well, God surely will make his life easy so he can get there. And that's not the case at all. It's the total opposite, right? I mean, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's shipwrecked. Right? I think a flat tire is hard on the way to Bible study. His ship completely broke at sea. He's floating on a plank, comes to an island somewhere stranded, and he gets bit by a poisonous snake. He said, and now here, writing this, he sits cold and hungry, chained to a Roman guard. And his response is not, God, what are you doing? Why is it so hard? His response is not, oh, I don't know what to do. His response is, I'm not really in need because I've learned a secret. I've learned the secret of facing plenty. I've learned the secret of facing hunger. I've learned the secret to having an abundance. And I've learned the secret to having need. Many philosophers of Paul's day were Stoics. And they took great pride in being really tough and toughing out every situation and having inner strength to get through anything without showing emotion. They they, they called it being self-sufficient. And you were truly a strong person if you, were, if, you, if you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and you were self-sufficient. Things didn't control you because you were tough, you were strong, and you were going to show it. You weren't going to cry about things. They referred to it as self-sufficiency. And in his day, there were also people who believed you could obtain a secret level of spirituality, and there were secret codes out there that people would share with you. And if you got the code, you obtained a new level, and it allowed you to attain this spiritual maturity, which probably included contentment. And I love how Paul addresses not only the church, but the people of the day. And he says, yeah, there's a secret, and it's about finding contentment, but it has nothing to do what's inside of you. And it has everything to do with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I love how the NIV says it, and I think it's very helpful. It says, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. And that all this he's referring to, it's the plenty, the hunger, the abundance, the need, all circumstances. He can do all this through Christ who strengthens him. Unlike the Stoics who sought to find this in themselves and the mystics who sought to find it in secret code words, Paul says that the secret is not in yourself. It's not in any secret practices, but the secret is in Christ. And so the principle here is that in any circumstance, whether we have a lot or we have nothing, we can be content because we have Christ and that Jesus is enough. People have twisted this passage to mean the exact opposite, right? They've turned it into, Christ will get me enough to be content. And it's actually saying that Christ is my contentment. They've turned it into, Christ will empower me to change my circumstances, when what it really means is, Christ is enough to satisfy me in any circumstance. And it's that simple. In Christ that is being united to Jesus, meaning we have Jesus, we have all we need to be content. And that might sound unattainable this morning. You know, we might feel like, seriously, like I can't even wait for my 
Amazon package to come and I have free two-day shipping, right? I mean, it's kind of the culture we live in. We get it like this right now. We don't even have to wait for commercials because we stream things on TV, though they're coming back. Um, you might be thinking, yeah, that sounds really great, but it's not my reality. Or maybe you're thinking, Paul doesn't understand my situation, but we got to go back to Paul's situation if we're going to go there, right? Because we don't understand Paul's situation. And it's easy to hear about people being beat and whipped and chained, but, but most of us don't even have a clue what that would feel like. <clears throat> I would say this with Paul. One thing he says in, in one passage in his writings, he says, I despaired of life itself. Okay? Like I said, he learned contentment, and there were times in his life when he was not feeling it. Okay? And so when we hear about this contentment, this is not in my notes. I'm going on a tangent. Hopefully it's okay. Um, contentment is always there in Christ. It's always available. But life is truly hard, right? And burdens heavily weigh on us. And suffering in this world is very real. Okay? And there are times when, when his glory and that contentment that's available to him is eclipsed by our distractions and our suffering, right? And I love how God puts things like laments in the Bible in Psalm 88 where there is no sign of hope from beginning to end, which is a great comfort because it says, guess what, believer? Christ is always there for you and it's available, but you may get into some sticky situations where you can't see up or down. The fog is so thick. You just feel lost. And I've been there, and I'm sure some of you have been there too. And it's very hard. I'm thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ who just encourage you to look to Jesus, remind you of his grace, And I also want you to remember when we are suffering and we are struggling and we are struggling even with contentment as you walk through battles with cancer, the loss of a loved one, God's not looking down angry to judge his people. He's looking down as a father with compassion, right? Like a a mother and father looking down at their little kid who just lost their puppy, right? Got hit by a car. And he's looking down with compassion. And he understands what you're going through. And you say, I don't get this. I hate this. He's like, I know. It's terrible. I understand. And you're going to say things you maybe don't even mean. And you're going to struggle. But I'm with you, right? And yet Paul says he learned contentment. And he learned that it had nothing to do with circumstances. Like I said, I don't think he got it right away. I don't think he all of a sudden was on the road to Damascus and his eyes were open and he thought, wow, I'm perfectly content now. I think he learned it through lots of hardship, lots of trial, more than you, you and I have probably faced. And he learned it. And Christians are to be students of contentment. And contentment, you know, the Stoics said it's not showing emotion. God made us emotional beings. We're going to have emotion. But But contentment for the Christian is having Christ as our heart-consuming care that shines into even our sinking discouragement, right? Contentment for us is knowing what we have in Christ and that shining into even the most difficult times of our life. And we have hope, and we can be satisfied in him. And so what everyday life circumstances are controlling you. If you're not sure, here's a question to help you think about it. What in your life do you believe is keeping you from feeling content? 
What in your life is keeping you from being content? And if we're honest about this, we could probably come up with a list of five things, right? Uh, I could be content if I simply just had blank. Is it a person in your life that needs to change? Is it getting a new job, a new house? Maybe it's just a moment of peace and quiet in the day, maybe 30 minutes. Um, What's standing in your way of being content from your perspective? Really, we all believe that something in this world can deliver true contentment at different moments, but it's a lie. Even if you got whatever you wanted, whatever you're looking for, it's not going to deliver contentment. And I just want to inject in here, it doesn't mean we just sit around and let sin go unchecked in the world. And I'm so thankful that God has put the justice system, and we live in a country where it's pretty decent compared to much of the world, right? And we don't just sit there and say, well, this person's abusing me, so I better just be content and not do anything about it. No, do something about it. Go to the police and seek to be content in Christ as you walk through that process, right? And I'm thankful that in the church, there's things like church discipline that lovingly restore people back to walking with Christ by God's grace. So people don't walk just around abusing people, but they're called to a life of grace and holiness. But just coming back to the everyday battles we face, right? We're really not much different than the children that many of us care for, right? Um, We're like the three-year-old who desperately needs the Happy Meal toy only to play with it for five minutes and, and say what's next, right? Only our toys are much bigger. The things we want are much bigger. And even when we get what we want, we simply move on to the next thing, convinced that we need it in order to be satisfied. But we do not find contentment in those things. This is a poem that I found from a 14-year-old named Jason Lehman. And I think he captures our problem with contentment in everyday life. He wrote a poem called Present Tense. Listen to how insightful he is. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow, the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. It was a child, sorry, I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom, the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. It was middle age, I'm sorry, I was middle age, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. 14 years old. And yet he totally nails it, the human condition. It's one of wanting more. And the cool thing is, we're created for more, right? We should want more than just what's on the earth. But the secret to gaining contentment isn't about obtaining money, health, or wealth, or whatever you feel in the given moment that you need. The more we were created for was Jesus. And we need to stop living for the wrong things and just start looking to Jesus. And I want you to just, I just want to look to Jesus just in a a couple different aspects of what he's given us and who he is to us, who he is to the Christian, to see that even when life is terrible, even when it's hard, even when it's painful, and there seems to be much reason for hopelessness, there are things in Jesus that cannot be taken from us. There are promises in Christ 
that are our guarantee. And I just want to talk about those. I want to fix our eyes on those in hopes that we would leave here today thinking, Jesus is awesome. Yes, my life is hard. Yes, I'm in pain. But I have Jesus, and I praise God for that. So to start with, I just want to mention a few things. First of all, Christ has met our deepest need. Right? While we were hopelessly lost to God in our sins and could care less about God, we stood at his enemies, Christ entered the world, and he took all of our sins upon his own body to have it judged on him so we could be forgiven, so we would experience grace and mercy, that we could be brought near to God. He did that for us. That cannot be taken away. If you're in Christ this morning and he died for you and you're forgiven, maybe you messed up this week, that cannot be taken from you. There's peace of mind in that. You've been given the most desirable gift that could ever be given. Of all the desirable people and things to be pursued in life, the most desirable is Christ himself. And he has pursued you, he has given himself to you so that you could be satisfied in him for all of eternity. Jesus is with you always until the end of the age. And it gets better because even after we travel through all the hardship, right, and we cross over, we can see him face to face, right? We no longer are going to walk by faith. We're going to walk with Jesus. And he's going to be there with us and every tear is going to be wiped away and everything that we struggle with every day is going to be fixed. It's going to be done away with. We've also been brought into relationship with a holy God. We were his enemy, and yet the Father adopts us into his family as sons. And when he looks at a wretch like me, a struggler like me, he sees his firstborn son, Jesus, in me. And he gives all the privileges that Jesus earned to me. He pours them out upon me, pours blessings on me that I don't deserve at all. And no matter what I'm going through, no matter what hardship, if I've completely blown it or if I'm suffering, I am God's son. I'm his child. And that cannot be changed. We cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand. And also, we've been given the Holy Spirit, which is living in us. God himself is dwelling in us. He created Adam and Eve to walk with them. They blew it. And the whole Bible is a story about God pursuing sinners to be with them, right? In the temple, right? In the church. And today, he lives in all of us. And when we gather together, he's here with us. He's always with us, and he's empowering us uh, with a new, he's given us a new heart, new desires for him. He affirms, right, that, that inner voice that says we belong to him, says it in his word, and empowers us to bring the good news of the gospel to a dying world that desperately needs it. One more here. Uh, you have purpose in your suffering. You can trust that Christ will not waste one hardship that you face in your life. He didn't waste it in Paul's, right? Later he writes about how God used that suffering to minister to people who were suffering and saw it as a gift. And and, 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 and God uses our suffering to eventually be more satisfied in him, to gain eternal joy, and to bring glory to him. And the list is endless of how we could lift up Jesus, and we could look at all the different facets of his glory, and all the reasons we can always have satisfaction in him, right? Our eternal security. We've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and it's amazing. Right? We know what love is. We're empowered to love. We've been redeemed from sin 
and death, and we have hope and joy in every circumstance. And so we can strive for contentment, and it may be done through tears, and that's okay, because we're not stoics that don't show emotion. It may be done while you're groaning in pain or mourn the loss of a loved one, but you can have a deep sense of peace knowing that God is sovereign and he is with you. Contentment comes from setting your sights on Jesus. And like the song says, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so, to kind of start wrapping it up here, we don't learn contentment by taking one verse about contentment out of context, right? We've got to dig and grow in knowledge and grace of Jesus. And just what do we do with the basketball warm-ups and the Christian wall art that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Do we just toss them out? Obviously not, right? Because we know that it's actually talking about something far greater than you're going to win a basketball game, right? It's actually talking about whether you have a season, you know, athletes, whether you have a season-ending injury or you win a championship, you can be content in Christ. And for adults, you know, whether we're walking through loss or financial hardship or need, or we have everything we could ever want, what we really need is Christ, and he's the one that satisfies. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, again, I just pray that as our hearts consider this passage, we wouldn't be discouraged, but we would just look up to see the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the glory of God in Jesus Christ, that it wouldn't be about, oh, I failed at this or I did this, but it would be like, wow, Jesus is magnificent. He's worthy and he satisfies. And that we would leave praising him today because of his goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So it sounds like there's fellowship downstairs and then we'll meet up here, is it 1030? 10.45 to just discuss this a little bit more. Uh, Other than that, you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.